I think DEI principles are super important when it comes to the advancement of digital health equity. And the way I see it is that building diverse teams, fostering an inclusive culture, and implementing equitable product design frameworks that develop solutions to positively impact communities is a really important way of thinking about that framing and and the influence of DEI. Because I I really think that by creating these intentionally inclusive cultures, what we're able to do as organizations is really value lived experiences coming out of our diverse teams and especially from underrepresented employees that they can influence the direction of our products and, and really ultimately impact the communities that they come from. Welcome to the In On Health podcast. I'm your host, Kapamayo Pala, and I go by KP. I'm the co-founder and CEO of In On Health. In today's episode, I speak with Dr. Felix Manuel Chinea. He is the head of health equity and inclusion strategy at Doximity. Felix is a medical doctor raised in the South and currently growing roots in Durham, North Carolina, with his wife, Raha, and dog, Abi which means blue in Farsi. He completed his medical degree at Duke School of Medicine and was a postdoctoral fellow at the Department of Radiation Oncology at the University of Miami. Through his work, he has highlighted the need for disaggregated data within the Latino community to address disparities in prostate cancer outcomes. His medical expertise includes health disparities, health equity, and clinical research. He went into the digital health industry because he saw an opportunity to reduce health disparities through the intentional use of technological innovation. In today's conversation, we cover Felix's role at Doximity, including his journey from clinical medicine into digital health. We talk about not only health equity, but also themes related to diversity, equity, and inclusion and how Felix is leading current strategies at Doximity in that space. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Hello, everybody. I am so pleased to have my good friend, Dr. Felix Manuel Chinea, um, with us today. He's the head of health equity and inclusion strategy at Doximity. And I'm looking forward to a great conversation. Thanks for being with us today, Felix. Hey, KP. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate you inviting me to be on this. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited for our listeners to get to know um, not just about the important work you're doing, but you have a really interesting personal background as well. Um, so, so as usual in this podcast, I would love to start there. If you could share with our listeners kind of your background and what led you to clinical medicine, digital health, and now this really important role around health equity and DEI. Yeah, um, I'll try to make this story not too long, um, tell you my whole life story, but I am a Puerto Rican military brat. I was born in upstate New York, raised mainly in Georgia and North Carolina on and off military bases. Um, My father served in the army for 22 years. Um, This gave me kind of this feeling of connection with like military family life and culture, combining that with the recognition of you know, the impacts of colonization on the island of Puerto Rico comes with a lot of complex feelings growing up. And especially when you kind of get into your college years of awakening of your own identity and history and whatnot. 
growing up in the South um, and being one of only like, you know, a few of Latina like kids in school, this definitely gave me the urge and, and want to search for community and belonging. So I really found that in student organizations, you know, in college and in medical school, I really found that piece of community and, and belonging where like, you know, I, I learned about social justice, about, you know, racial identity, about health disparities and intersectionality. And it gave me a space for to kind of, you know, develop my own leadership skills and, and, and organizing skills as well. And that was kind of the place I found my opportunity to combine passions of both science and justice. And it, it led me to go into medicine for, for that reason and, and want to make an impact in, in health disparities. I really appreciate your father's service, but also like the sacrifices that you and your family have made as, as a military family. You know, I would just say on, on behalf of my listeners and myself, we, we appreciate you and we appreciate your family and everything you've done to serve um, the U.S. Thank you. Tell me about a little bit more about that. I'm, I'm curious about that experience as a young person. And also, do you have anyone else in your family that's in healthcare? Because um, what led you specifically to this field? Yeah, that's a great question. So to answer the second question first, um, nobody in my family is, is really in healthcare. I never really okay. had that kind of direct, direct sort of like help navigating healthcare spaces and getting into medicine um, for sure. What was it like growing up kind of in a military background? I think you kind of mm -hmm. noted on that, on the impact, you know, this sort of life has on military families. My dad throughout my childhood was kind of stationed elsewhere. I know he served two tours in, in South Korea, both 12 months, 12 months and then 14 months where he was completely away from us and we were away from him. And the only way we had contact with him was over the phone. So that, you know, definitely influenced the way I grew up and, you know, the closeness I built with my, my own mother and, and the family we had at home and then kind of the appreciation for what he gave up to be able to give us that sort of life. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it definitely influenced me. Yeah, no, thank you for, for that. And um, tell me more about, you know, as you kind of decide to go into clinical medicine, what was that like for you? Yeah, so that was, that was a tough experience, to be honest. Like I think um, medicine is tough for anyone. I mm -hmm. think it's a, it's a, you know, it is highly demanding. Um, the amount of information you have to consume within medical school, the bars you have to kind of reach in order to get to that next stage are very high. Performance is is, is very much expected in medical school. And right. coming in, you know, being one of a few only people and within a class of like 100, um, it's hard to find people that understand your own experience and that are also going through some of the same things. And then even when you do you feel hesitant because these are all new folks, right? Like you started mm -hmm. school in a new class with people that you don't know, you don't have a relationship with to open up that sort of vulnerability in a class that's highly competitive, full of type A folks right? and share those pieces of vulnerability. That's another layer to add on top of it. So that takes time. And I think you end up finding a few people through those struggles. I found, you know, my one close friend um, within there and, and we leaned on each other heavily but it definitely made me reflect on my own identities continuing from college of my own sort of like introspection on myself. Mm -hmm. And that combined with my own medical education 
and clinical experiences helped me realize like, you know, what do I want to do with this and how do I want to serve my community best? Great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing your background. I think so many of our listeners come from diverse backgrounds and different identities. So I think it's really important that we hear from our leaders kind of what that arc has looked like as we dig into other topics. So um, let's let's dig into what you're up to at, at Doximity and, and what the company does in your current role. Yeah. So the quick way to understand what Doximity does. So it's a Doximity is a professional medical network. Think LinkedIn for doctors and clinicians that also offers clinical tools. Um, the mission for Doximity is really to connect healthcare professionals and make their lives easier. Mm-hmm. My role started off as the head of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and it recently changed to the to health equity and inclusion strategy. And this change was to more accurately reflect both internal and external DEI efforts. Okay. Um, the health equity piece. Yeah. So that, so the health equity piece really reflects or the investment in equitable and inclusive design principles to influence how we develop our products and how we make decisions Mm -hmm. and really relies on collaboration across teams. And then that inclusion piece, that inclusion strategy piece really reflects the growing internal DEI efforts that we have, that we're going to continue those same sort of like foundational principles to impact our people and culture. So for some of our listeners who may not be clinicians, um, maybe a little bit of context on the big problem that Doximity is solving in terms of creating this professional network of clinicians. And then part two of that question is for diverse clinicians or, or clinicians from diverse backgrounds, I should say, how does that look in your strategy? I assume that must be part of some of what you're thinking on. Yeah, 100%. So we have all these social media networks that keep us connected to our families, our friends, and people that we've never met before. Mm-hmm. I think an important thing to understand about healthcare professionals is that they're people too, right? Right. I think they have the same opportunities, both professionally and interpersonally, to connect with former colleagues, former classmates, or connect with professionals that they haven't met before to serve their professional needs, whether they want to find a referral for a pediatric cardiologist in a particular part of the country, or they want to connect with someone to have their sort of professional opinion on a given case. Doximity allows for those sorts of connections and conversations by being that professional medical network. I think this is really important to do on a specific platform that's designed with them in mind okay. because Doximity is also a HIPAA compliant platform and allows for those conversations to happen with that sort of safety and, and trust in mind. I see. Very interesting. And then into part two of the question, like, you know, there's a definitely, you know, a lot of the conversations around health equity also are around kind of the need for better connectivity for many people with um, clinicians from diverse backgrounds. And then I assume those clinicians from diverse backgrounds from conversations I've had have their own struggles that might be unique to coming from basically being non-white and coming from very different types of backgrounds than a traditional clinician. And I could assume there's a benefit to a kind of social network effect or connectivity in that domain amongst clinicians. Yeah, so that's a great point that you make. And I think... What I like to think about it is like, okay, what do we do as a business? I think of us as sitting in two major spaces, that professional medical network piece, that social media piece, and then we also have a telehealth tool. Okay. So as we think about how this serves like our underrepresented 
clinicians and underrepresented communities, I think of putting a DEI lens to those two things. I see. So within the medical network piece, how are our tools and the specific ways that underrepresented clinicians navigate their professions, how do our tools fit in that space? How can we make their lives easier? Our mission is to make you know, healthcare professionals' lives easier. How do we do that specifically for black and brown communities, for those coming from LGBTQ backgrounds and whatnot? Like, How do we look at it from that historically marginalized perspective? And how does that influence the way we develop our products, the way we think about it, the way we think our products land with them and are useful to them or not? And then within the telehealth side, we can think about how do we prioritize telehealth equity? How do we think about health equity from a telemedicine sense on access, on the design of the product, and on the way we decide what is useful, what are useful features that really serve the needs of communities that are at most need? Mm-hmm. I think those are great questions to ask as we think about what we do as a business. Interesting. And maybe you could give listeners a sense of the the profile of Doximity. You're a publicly traded company, right? Yes, we're a publicly traded company. We have over 2 million members on our platform. And as of 2022, I believe we've had tens of millions of patient visits on our telehealth platform as well. I see. Okay. So at a significant level of scale. So, you know, as you, so you've kind of started to lay this out, but a theme we're talking about consistently throughout this season is that thread that connects health equity as a construct and diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging as a construct. I think oftentimes, one, well, on the one hand, people have different definitions for both sides of that coin. And on the other hand, I think sometimes people don't understand the connectivity. So maybe like in this context of the work you do, you started to unpack that. But maybe you could share kind of how you see first the health equity construct, then this DEI and belonging construct and how they fit together in in the strategies you're developing. Yeah, 100%. So I I think a lot of this leans on a lot of really thoughtful and really intelligent leaders like in in both these spaces individually. And I think it's been really interesting to kind of see, as you said, them come together and really show the overlap between two distinct sort of like practices, right, in, in both health equity and, and DEI. So as you said, I'm coming from the background of, of digital health and health equity within digital health. I think DEI principles are super important when it comes to the advancement of digital health equity. And the way I see it is that building diverse teams, fostering an inclusive culture, and implementing equitable product design frameworks that develop solutions to positively impact communities is a really important way of thinking about that framing and, and the influence of DEI. Because I, I really think that by creating these intentionally inclusive cultures, what we're able to do as organizations is really value lived experiences coming out of our diverse teams and especially from underrepresented employees that so much so that they can influence the direction of our products and, and really ultimately impact the communities that they come from. And this sort of thinking, and a lot of this stems from, you know, the great framework that came out from Rock Health, mm-hmm. this idea of co-designing products and iterating on accessibility to improve accessibility, that really allows us as a digital health company to really become part of this solution to make digital health more equitable and inclusive. Right. No, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And and where do you start? So as you've looked at, you know, I asked people this because it can be such an 
unwieldy topic to take on in an organization of any size and trying to work one's way to align definitions and strategies can be challenging. And I'm sure many of our listeners sit in those seats. So I'm curious to hear from you on how you've conceptualized, like how you start, you know, when you need to kind of get a framework in place, but you also need to get some consensus and and kind of get everyone rowing in the same direction around these issues? Yeah, I know that's a great question. I think um, part of where I've really taken like a start of, of like how to define what health equity is, is thinking about where we sit as an organization, like what's our sphere of influence. And mm-hmm. I kind of go back to the idea of like, what do we do, right? So we're here to make clinicians' lives easier. Most of what we do faces clinicians, not patients directly. Right. And I see us sitting in those two spaces, that social media and that telehealth space. So much of what I've been doing in my role is really trying to understand what health equity means in those two spaces. Well, in the social media space, it's about asking the right questions around how our products and our platform best serves those historically marginalized communities within the clinician space, right? So I know that very well because I'm a, you know, went through medical school myself. I understand this sort of, you know, perspective and, and have these sorts of networks of folks. So being able to put my mind in what types of products best serve them, what products do we have, how do we keep them in mind and be able to move that needle in that way and be able to influence some of, you know, our internal folks to think a bit more in that way. I think that's important. And then on the telehealth side, I think we're finding a lot of research out there that shows the impact of telemedicine, especially within, you know, this pandemic. So the pandemic hit, the bar for, you know, or the ease of telemedicine being used as a solution became, you know, much easier for a lot of organizations to dive into that. And then we saw a lot of the disparities that already existed get worse. Right. Right. And so we started asking some great questions on access, on whether these tools were designed for with them in mind. And I think that reflecting on that sort of building of evidence gives us the opportunity to say, where do we sit in that, right? Like, how do we learn from others' mistakes? How do we learn from what's happening out there and the evidence being built and and keep those communities in mind as we build moving forward? Mm-hmm. Now, I think one of the things you mentioned is like, how do you define that and create incentives around that and, and create kind of a structure around it? I think that really sits in what I had mentioned before, frameworks like the one from Rock Health, where I I think you have to think about how to create an equitable process if you want an equitable product. Right. And that really requires them reflecting on the process, requires them reflecting on demographics within a company and, and also the culture. I don't think those pieces can be skipped if you want the outcome to be equitable and inclusive. Right. And so, I mean, and we hear this theme over and over again, that it comes from the top, right? Like your, the leadership in your organization really needs to be behind this, you know, not just you as an individual owning this within the company, but that the CEO and other executives are all aligned that this is important. So can you share a little bit about that context of kind of your executive team and how you guys see this as a, as a unit? Yeah. So some context in how this role was created, it was very much created from the head of HR as well as one of our co-founders. So this role was intentionally created knowing that they wanted to give agency and growth to this role and have it be a collaborating 
um, strategy across the organization with the intention of embedding DEI across the whole company. I think starting from that point is really where it needs to be because what that does is it communicates with the whole company that, hey, this person that's leading these sorts of initiatives is going to be having conversations with everyone and is going to be working with everyone to help us do our jobs better. Right. And it's through a specific lens and through their particular professional skills. And I think that needs to be understood across every company that DEI is not just like a nice thing to have. It's a professional skill set that helps us do our jobs better. And I think, you know, we're, we're starting to see this understanding that equitable and inclusive companies do better. So knowing that it's everybody's best interest to really work in collaboration with folks in this role. And when it comes to leadership, it's really in their best interest to communicate that across the company, that that's what the goal is to really embed DEI across the company. Now, what that looks like in terms of structures and like, you know, in formal ways, I think that can look different in different companies. It depends on how the organization is structured and how influence happens across the org. For us, I think we, I I hesitate to say that we're a flat organization because I don't believe there is a such thing as a flat organization, but we try to be. Okay. And I think with that comes an ease of connecting and like communicating with people at various levels throughout the organization. And because of that, I think starting where I am in my role now, it's been easy to work with people across the whole company without the need for any sort of like formal designation in a particular place of of the company. Um, I think that can be a bit different. Right. About how many staff are with Doximity today? 800, about 800 folks. 800. Okay. So quite a large organization. Okay. Um, Thank you for, for sharing that. You talked about having about 2 million clinicians inside of this network. Um, that Doximity has created. What do you think they think about health equity and DEI? What are you learning from the community of of clinicians in your network about what's on their mind? To give a bit of context of Doximity, how it's designed in terms of the network. Mm -hmm. So no one is able to create content on the network. Instead, um, we curate and, and create content for them. And the idea behind that, so like when you open the app, for instance, like there's a news feed similar to, to LinkedIn and the, the content that they see is news that's relevant to them. And the idea is to bring them the information that makes their lives easier. And they bring, you bring the information that's most useful to them. Um, and that impacts their clinical decision-making. Okay. Now it doesn't mean that they don't interact within that content. There's a comment section that they're able to interact with each other on a particular news topic or a particular um, research topic and research article. And I think one of the ways that we get a sense of how people feel about health equity content is by putting that content out there and really prioritizing that content within our spaces. And seeing how they engage, right? Exactly. And I, and I think that's something we've done on our news and like editorial teams of being able to measure how folks engage on health equity content and how for us to use that information to improve our strategy of getting the right content to the right um, folks. Like, especially when we're thinking about, you know, anti-racism content in say like the cardiology space, the American Heart Association has put out a lot of really great roadmap information for that particular specialty. Um, and, and what does that mean in terms of health disparities and health equity research in that particular specialty as well? That's the way we, we mostly think about it. 
I see. That's very helpful. And then I must, I assume that the work that Dr. Aletha Maybank, um, the chief health equity officer of the American Medical Association and her team is quite relevant to this audience as well then. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's part of the piece of my work where I'm not just like confined to, to seeing what happens on our network to be able to get a sense of what our clinician members need and, and what are the sorts of things that we should be leaning into. Folks like Dr. Aletha Maybank have, you know, done such great work when it comes to the roadmaps that they've built out for the AMA. I've heavily leaned on their resource when it comes to their their guide for narrative guide for um, inclusive language mm-hmm. as well. I think the work that they're doing is really showing the future of like what we need to be leaning into when it comes to both DEI and health equity. Got it. Okay, very helpful. So maybe you can share, you've inferred some of this through your commentary in this conversation, but what are some of your near-term priorities um, that you're looking at um, at Doximity in your role? Yeah, for sure. So what some of the, so similar to other tech companies, a big focus of ours is to improve representation. Um, some communities that we're like really focusing on br- improving representation at Doximity are, are folks from the black community, from the Latina community and the American Indian community. And we're also focusing on women and non-binary folks in tech roles as well. As we're working on improving our recruitment processes and improving representation. This also means that we need to do the job of reflecting on how we can do better as a company as well. This means building community relationships. Mm. It means supporting our current employees from these backgrounds. And and I think those are really important things to to focus on and, and not just think about bringing in folks from these different backgrounds, but making sure we're thinking about what are we bringing them into and how do we best serve them and how do we become a place where they really feel like they belong. Another piece that I'm really excited for is to really invest and improve in our people data and insights. I think most people know that when it comes to employee experiences, that experience is heavily influenced by managers. So I'm really excited to heavily invest in this so we can better support managers to build more diverse and inclusive teams okay. within the company. Great. And and I think, you know, I'm sure you're building these strategies, but what does that look like? Because, I mean, some people would say, well, how do you action that? So, like, what is the benchmark, for example, that is success in terms of increasing diversity in a team is like, so maybe you could give like a framework. Are you thinking about more looking at your baseline and then just improving from there? Or are there other standards that you look at to say, as an organization, looking at our 800 employees and as we're growing and trying to be representative of diverse stakeholders, like what those thresholds are? Absolutely. Like, I think the ultimate goal is to have our organization reflect the United States, right? Most of our um, employees work in the United States. Um, all of our members are U.S. facing. So when we think about who is going to build our products or whatnot, we want to make sure that those backgrounds and those communities are reflected. Now, that's a lofty goal Mm -hmm. for any company, and no company is even close to being able to do that. So how do you develop goals and incentives in a way that's not, you know, it it feels like it's overwhelming to be able to attain something that's attainable in the meantime? So I think with that is, like you said, looking at industry benchmarks, looking at companies that are comparable, that are aspirational for us as well within tech. I think we think about ourselves as a tech company that does healthcare, not a healthcare company that does tech. So I think that's important for us to look at as well. And then also like in in the short term, thinking about, are we seeing improvement in that short term? So for instance, use those tech company benchmarks to compare ourselves and and aspirational goals. 
set ourselves for a goal for say five years from now, and which we have, we have a five-year goal. And then within there, every year or every six months, reflect on, are we seeing incremental improvements compared to our previous baseline to be able to reach that goal? And how do we track that, um, that trajectory of improvement? And is it reaching a trajectory that will likely reach that goal in five years? I think setting those high aspirations for the long term so that you're committed long term, but then creating those sort of bite-sized steps are have like super important because as you're trying to get there in the in the next five years, you need small wins to be able to keep on going, and you need to know if you're on track or not. Otherwise, it won't work if you're checking in five years from now. You need to check in much more often than that. Right. No, that's super um, helpful and, and insightful because I think as you're saying, this is really about culture and ongoing process. It's not a one-off thing that an organization does. It's really about being intentional and and defining how health equity and DEI embed within the company culture and strategy. So then it's the ongoing work that's important, like you're describing, it takes time. Absolutely. Which takes, you know, such systems level thinking. And, and that's why I'm so excited about us investing in better people data, because as we're sort of like, you know, creating those incremental steps, you need the right data platforms. You need to be collecting the right data. Mm-hmm. You know, you, if you're collecting demographic data on employees, what demographic data are you missing? Do you know if employees are from an LGBTQ back, background? Do you know if they identify as trans or cisgender? Do you know, you know, their specific ethnicity or not? Do we know if folks are, you know, South Asian or East Asian? Those are questions that are worth asking to be able to have that sort of meaningful reflection as a company um, that you want, but it requires that systems level thinking to, to know what kind of questions you need to ask. Exactly. And it requires something else because um, a lot of that information ends up being self-reported. So it requires trust, right? If if your staff and employees trust that you've got a safe culture and that it's, it's an organization where they can be their authentic selves in a way that they can thrive, then also people are more likely to self-report the type of information that helps you do this. Cause that's a big part of the challenge here as well. A hundred percent. I, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more that trust is key in getting that sort of information. When you get that information as a company, that's something that you have to be very appreciative for mm-hmm. because obviously we're talking about all the benefits of having that information. So what are the benefits to the employees? So as you get the trust to get it in the first place, you have to keep that trust as well. So as they're giving it to you, you have to show employees that you're going to use that information to benefit them and improve as a company, to be more inclusive and equitable as a company. So that it's not that it's not a one-off, as you said before. It's really a process going forward and understanding that. Mm-hmm. And ideally, it's a virtuous cycle, as you've described. Um, excellent. So Look, um, as we're winding down this conversation, I've been asking every guest this question, which is around leadership. What's clear is the U.S. healthcare system has tremendous challenges and disparities across all kinds of dimensions are frankly unacceptable, which is why we do the work that we do. It's also become clear as I've had conversations that there's something more fundamental needed in terms of how we think about leadership in healthcare in the U.S. Um, And so I'm curious to hear from you, what type of leadership is required in your view to really build a more equitable and just 
healthcare system in the U.S.? I know it's a big question, but ultimately, what type of skills, values, or leadership you think can really make a difference? Because I think for a lot of us that are doing this work, we realize we're in an untenable situation in terms of many aspects of how our healthcare system is operating. And we know it needs to do better for a lot of people. Um, so how do you see that? Yeah. So like you said, that's a big question. And that's, you know, a lot of people get overwhelmed with the idea of like, how do we prioritize health equity? How do we make healthcare more equitable and inclusive? These are very like, you know, conceptual type questions. So I think it starts from something simple. I think the important leadership qualities and values that come to mind for me with doing this work is just curiosity and vulnerability. Doing equity work requires constant learning and unlearning. Every good leader knows that no one person can know everything, and the same applies to equity work. And I, and I think this what this really does is it means that you value leaders can value the lived experience experiences of those around them. And that leaders can approach this with curiosity and intentionally include voices that are coming from those lived experiences that they don't have. And they can be more curious about the perspectives that they don't fully understand and be vulnerable in the workplace with their you know, blind spots or their shortcomings on any sort of given perspective. And what this does is it really helps us create a culture of learning that gives space, space for mistakes and growth. And then with that foundation in mind, leaders can develop, you know, for themselves and also encourage others to better recognize their own blind spots and to really empower diverse teams to feel valued and bring them their full selves to work and to foster that sort of innovation that we all know comes from diversity outside of the default culture mindset of predominantly white and cisgender institutions. Mm, Very, very insightful. And, and I think that, um, Ultimately, that leads to empathy, right, and and deeper connectivity amongst uh, individuals and communities. Like looking at this from an organizational view, so that's that's uh, makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so look to close, I ask every guest this question: Why are you in on health equity? Yeah, no, I, I've definitely heard you ask this question to other guests, so um, I appreciate you bringing it up. I was excited to answer this one. I think the main thing that comes to mind is a book. So The Wake Up by Michelle Mijung Kim has been a book I've been telling everybody to read, highly recommend it. I don't get any anything for saying that. But what she really touches on is really coming up with a sustainable why of why you're doing equity work and how that sustainable why really needs to be rooted in a selfish reason and how if you don't do this for selfish reasons, you're going to do this from a perspective of charity. And when you do this from a perspective of charity, any sort of action you take is a great action and you kind of move on right. and, and you leave this work as like, that's somebody else's problem. But if you have a selfish why, you understand that this also affects you and you're always tied to this work. So my why in health equity is really rooted in my family, both past and future. So I think about my abuela who died, you know, of breast cancer when I was less than one years old. I think of my abuela who died of a heart attack less than 10 years later. I think of my other abuela who has longstanding diabetes and diabetic retinopathy that resulted in him becoming blind. I think about how a third of Puerto Rican women were sterilized through coercion and forced experimentation by the 1970s on the island of Puerto Rico. I think about how 
all of the black and brown communities that have to navigate a health system and now digital health solutions that were either designed to intentionally or unintentionally exclude them. And I see myself and, and my family in that. And I don't want to leave that future for my family or for others. And I, and I really see myself as wanting to be part of that solution and to leave something better. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for, um, for sharing that and for your openness and authenticity in this conversation. That's what I really love the most about these conversations. I always say I feel like I not only get to learn more from my friends, but also um, um, it's, uh, it helps, fills my cup in terms of the work that we do and the challenges we face. So thank you so much to uh, Dr. Felix Manuel Chinea, Head of Health Equity and Inclusive Strategy at Doximity. Wish you the best in your work. And until next time. Thank you, KP. I, I appreciate this conversation giving uh, and you giving space for this. Looking forward to continuing our work to, together on this and, and staying in community within the digital health and DEI space. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us for the In On Health podcast. For more information on this guest and other episodes, please go to www.inonhealth.com slash podcast. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at InOnHealth. Until next time, this is your host KP signing off.